Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse number 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, although I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. I want to read again verse number 6, for it is where we will spend most of our time this morning. The Bible says... He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. See, the way that you say words really matter. In fact, the words that you say really matter. Let me illustrate it to you like this. A while back, I guess about seven or eight years ago now, I just say seven or eight because I can't remember when I actually got engaged to my wife, so I just kind of seven or eight. Goodness. You think I'm the only guy in this room that doesn't remember the exact year that I was married? Anyway, so several years ago now, 2011, whatever that is. Several years ago now, I got engaged to my wife. I planned this big ordeal. I was going to a beach vacation with her family. Um, I had called her dad, asked for permission to ask for her hand in marriage. And uh, he said that was fine. He also said to me that he was a gun owner, and uh, I appreciated that. And so I had orchestrated this situation where I would go get a ring, and I would fly up there, and I'd play it super cool, nonchalant, and I would do my very best to make sure that she did not know that I was going to propose. In fact, you, this is kind of like the, the behind-the-scenes story, like the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. But we got in the biggest fight of our dating relationship over the fact that I was not proposing when I was going to propose. <laughs> That's truth. The rest of the story. And um, so I go up there, and I just had this sneaking suspicion. You know, I carried a duffel bag onto the plane with me. I had the ring in the duffel bag. I just decided that I needed to take extra precautions so I actually took the ring out of the bag that I carried onto the plane and I hid it in a little seashell in the house that we were staying in. I never dreamed that my wife would actually look for, through my belongings to see if there was a ring. Later I found out she did. Lucky for me, I don't trust people. And so it was kind of a cool story. I had planned this whole thing out. We were going to go to a... Uh, uh, a, a big, nice uh, 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 dinner, I believe. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember, we, we, our, our plans got all mixed up. I think I wanted to be, the, the goal of the evening was I wanted to walk on the beach at 
sunset. And I wanted to propose to her with the sun as the backdrop. On the way through, we discussed it. And she said, you know what I want? I was like, what's that? I want a steak. Well, this wasn't really within my budget or plans, but that's what she wanted. So we go to the steakhouse. It was a very nice steakhouse. And uh, we go in there. It took a lot longer than what we thought. And I remember they set us right by the window. And I remember watching the sun disappear. (laughs) And it was like the saddest music ever was playing in my head. You know, I mean, it was terrible. And so I'm still going to propose. Her family's out. And we're, we're, we've kind of made arrangements for this to be the night. And, and so we get back late. We get back late. Dark as can be. But I remember finally walking on the beach. And I had not thought it all the way through. But I was wearing cargo shorts like every good independent fundamental Baptist preacher. Amen. I had Crocs. That has nothing to do with religion. They're just super comfortable. And... Um, and so I had these croc sandals, and now she's wanting to hold my hand. Ah, I don't even know why. But she's wanting to, you know, walk on the beach all romantic. And so I've got her hand in this hand, and we're walking, and now I've got to figure out how I can, like, nonchalantly get the ring out of my pocket. The problem is, have you ever walked on the beach in sandals? <laughs> so I've taken off my sandals, and I'm carrying them in my other hand, And so now I I don't have a way to access the ring to make it all sweet. And then I remember as I'm trying to shove the sandals in the back of my waistline, she's saying, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing, just give me a break, you know. Mind your own business, mistake lady. So it's this very awkward, very cumbersome situation. And there's also people walking on the beach along with us. You know, uh, there's some behind us, some in front of us. And there's other people crossing, headed in a different direction. So we're passing them. And I didn't want to do it right by somebody. I wanted it to be a private moment. And so I get the perfect spacing out. And I finally get the ring out. And I get down on my knee and I open the box, and I don't know if they still do it, but Dave's Jewelers is the best place in the world to buy a ring because he's my brother. But anyway, he had this awesome box that when you opened it, a light shone on the ring. And the ring that I bought her, because she spoiled rotten, was like a disco ball, man. I mean, this diamond was boom. And, and so it was perfect because... It was pitch black. She would not have been able to see the ring had I not had this box. So I finally get my Crocs situated. I get the ring out. We stop. I get down on one knee. I open the box and I say, Amy, will you marry me? Words matter. The words that you choose and the way that you say words matter. Because this was my wife's response. No. <laughs> this is exactly how I envisioned this moment. <laughs> no. The w- 
words that you say matter and the way that you say them matters. A while back, my wife and I found out we were expecting our third child, Thomas. We now know him. But he came, to, he came as a complete surprise to my wife and I. I mean, like one of those like, oh, this is terrible. Surprises, but good too, because you have to say that. Um, and we were both taken back. This was just crazy. We were already drowning, so what's better than just throwing another baby on that situation? And I'll never forget, we finally mustered up the courage to go over to my parents' house and tell them. And so we go over there. My dad's seated in his uh, uh, chair. He's more than likely, I can't remember, he's probably got his Bible in his lap. He does about 90% of the time I'm over there. He's got his Bible there, I'm sure. He's watching very religious TV, uh, you know, like uh, Deadliest Catch and uh, (laughs) Moonshine Runners or whatever that is. <laughs> Real educational programming and edifying programming. And my mom's there, and, and we didn't really tell them. We didn't schedule this. We just stopped over. We popped in. And I'll never forget, I didn't want to tell them at all, to be honest with you. Like, uh, this my wife's like, it's time. It's time. It's, it's time. Okay, steak lady, give me a break. <laughs> And I finally mustered up the courage and I said, I want to let you guys know that we're pregnant. Words that you say matter. And the way that you say them matters because this was my father's response. Oh, no! (laughs) If I'm lying, I'm dying. (laughs) We go back, my wife's like, I can't believe that was their response. And I go, babe, that was our response. (laughs) Words that you say matter, and the way that you say them matters. This morning we are studying 11 of the most important words that have ever been uttered. He is not here, he is risen, as he said. They change everything if they are true. The words that you say matter and the way that you say them matters. This morning as we study this passage, the reason these words matter so much is because they prove three things about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number one, they prove His deity. If you're not completely familiar with a theological terms and, 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 and you've not been around church long, let me ex- describe to you what deity is. The word deity means to prove the godness of something. The actual definition is a person that is revered as being a god. But when we mean the deity of Christ, what we are saying is not that he is a little g-o-d, but that he is eternal, capital G, capital O, capital D, God. And just the fact that this angel tells these, these uh, disciples here, and he looks at them and says, you've got to understand, he is not here, he is risen. It proves that he is very God. You see, in verse number 5, we find a pretty interesting thing about this. The Bible says, 
uh, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. And then he goes on to say, He's not here. Now can you imagine what is going through the ladies' minds as there is no doubt in their mind this is where he should be. It's his grave. You seek Jesus, he was crucified, and he was laid in this grave, but he's not here. Now I'm not a very, uh, I, I try to be a responsible person, but I lose things often. Can anybody say, thank the Lord for find your iPhone, Amen. Do y'all use that frequently? Because if it was not for find iPhone, I would be in a world of hurt. But I, I, I struggle with this sometimes. And, and here was my favorite thing growing up. I would go to my mom, the lady who I trust, the lady who I love, the lady who has my best interest at heart. And I would lose something, say it's my truck keys or, 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 or say it was, you know, my ball cap. And I'd say, hey, mom, have you seen this? And this is what she would say. And I loved it every time so much. She would say, well, where did you last leave it? <laughs> you know, I had not heretofore thought of this tremendous revelation which you are now giving me. <laughs> that I should look in the previous location that I saw said item. It was, it was wonderful. Where, well, where did you last leave it? Look. As strange as it is to say, that's what these ladies were doing. Well, they were just going where they thought Jesus was. Why? Because they had seen him put there. Yeah. And the angel says, oh, you seek Jesus, the one which was crucified, the one which was laid in this grave. <laughs> and I like, I believe it is Luke's gospel. The angel says, why seek ye the living among the dead? Yeah. Oh, there's no reason to look in the grave of Jesus if you want to find Jesus because he's not there. And what that does is it proves his deity. There have been a lot of people throughout the course of history that were very spiritual men. Good men, wise men, great teachers. But if you look in their grave, each one is still there. You see, the man named Muhammad, the great prophet of Islam, he was poisoned by a Jewish woman and his grave can be found in Medina. The, uh, the great man, the teacher Buddha, the creator of Buddhism, died of natural causes at the age of 80 and is buried in India. Confucius, a great teacher, founder of Confucianism, died of natural causes following the death of his son and his favorite disciple. He's buried in Khufu. L. Ron Hubbard, the creator, the author of Scientology, buried in the Pacific Ocean, dying of the age of 74 due to a stroke. These men were probably good men. I don't know. These men, no doubt, were spiritual men. But they're still dead. And they may have been good, but they were not God. And that is what separates Jesus from every other spiritual man that has ever lived. You see, if you look in their graves, you will still find their bones. But if you look in the grave of Jesus, you will not find him because as the angel said, he is not here, he is risen, as he said. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Amen. You see, just the fact that Jesus rose again on the third day proves that he is God. 
These words, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said, prove his deity. I want you to see, secondly, though, they prove his victory. You see, in the Bible, we see in verse number 6, the Bible says, For he is risen as he said. Jesus promised throughout the course of his ministry and time on earth that he would rise from the dead. In fact, after the very first miracle that he performed, it was at the wedding, the, the wedding of the marriage of Cana of Galilee. They, they bring out these water pots. He turns the water to wine. We've heard that story before. It's right after that he departs for Jerusalem. And it is in the shadow of the temple at Jerusalem... He is teaching folks and he is, in fact, he actually scourges those that are in the uh, uh, a temple. He drives out the money changers, if you will. You probably remember that story too. He says, my father's house is not a house of merchandise and he clears it out. And then based upon all that he's done, the miracle at the wedding of Galilee, uh, of Cana, uh, based upon him now purifying the temple, the Bible says that the Jews ask him this question. What sign showest unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? The question was this. If you're going to act like this, you better have a good reason for it. If you're going to make these claims and talk about cleansing your father's house and how you're holier and better than everyone else, if you're going to act this way, On whose authority or what sign are you going to show to us that you can do it? And Jesus, standing in the shadow of the temple, says this. Destroy this temple and three days I'll rise up. And they said, how can you build that which took 46 years? How can you in three days reconstruct this great temple that we take so much pride in? How can you claim to do it in three days? And the Bible tells us this. But he spake of the temple of his body. You see, I have no doubt that Jesus could have restored the temple in three days. In fact, if you study the Bible, Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, boy, I'm just getting excited. I love preaching, and I especially love preaching on the resurrection of Jesus. But the Bible tells us that it was actually Jesus who stepped out on the ledge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. So if he created the world in six days, I kind of think the temple would have been okay in in three. But they asked for a sign. And they said, Jesus... If you're going to act like this and if you're going to make these accusations and and, and behave in this manner, what great miracle, what sign do you have to show us to validate who you say you are? And his answer is this. (laughs) I'm going to rise from the dead, boys. You're going to put me in a grave and you're going to think I'm gone and done with. And in three days... I'm going to do something that would make this temple look like child's play. I'll rise up. He now is prophesying the victory that he will enjoy. That's the way God works. You see, 
this was common knowledge in Jesus' day, the claim that he was making. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, I mean this. When Jesus is killed, he's put in the tomb. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27 that the chief priests and the Pharisees come to Pilate and they say, this guy said that he was going to raise again in three days. So this wasn't just like, you know, for a select group of people. This wasn't just knowledge that only his disciples would have. Even the chief priests and the Pharisees knew what he was saying he was going to do. And they convince Pilate. They say, well, we don't want this to happen. That would be a worse sin than the first sin. If he rises again, then the crucifixion's not going to be that big a deal. The resurrection's going to be a real problem to keep under wraps. No pun intended. Under wraps. This is going to be a real problem. So what, what they request of Pilate is they ask Pilate to give them the authority to establish a protective unit around the tomb. And their reasoning is because we don't want his disciples to come and steal the body away and claim that he's been risen. See, Jesus prophesying that he would raise again on the third day was common knowledge even in his day. Jesus makes a bold claim. The good thing about Jesus is he always follows through. Have you ever been put in a situation where you are unable to keep your word? I've been there. One time in high school, I remember we had a pretty good basketball team. And I guess this was probably my sophomore year. Uh, we, were, we were pretty good and we were playing this team for our homecoming. It was Hill School. In fact, we still play them. I don't know if you all know who John Radigan is. He's the guy that does the Rangers television show after the game. John Radigan's son actually plays for Hill School. I saw him the other day. I was like, hey, you're John Radigan. He was like, that's me. He was walking out of our gym. He had just watched his son play basketball. Well, we still play Hill School, but back then, we dominated Hill School. Okay, we always beat them. We were better than them. We had better athletes. We were better coached. We always beat them. Well, for our homecoming, right, what do you got to do? You got to get, hey, spirit, yeah, rah, rah. You got to do that because it's homecoming. So I'll never forget, one of the guys on our team came up with this idea to make t-shirts. And you're like, that sounds awesome. No, no, no. Our t-shirts involved white Hanes undershirts with Sharpie. Okay, (laughs) that's the t-shirts we were making. And it just so happened that A Hill School's mascot was the Hawks, okay? They're the Hawks. Well, it just so happens that we are the Knights. And so every one of our basketball players makes this shirt right here with this phrase on it. Hawks don't fly at night, but with a K. Corny, I know. They came into our gym, into our homecoming, and they beat us. (laughs) We had egg on our face. We looked foolish as can be, and apparently hawks do fly at night quite well. (laughs) You see, I've I've been in situations where I maybe over-promised myself, maybe a little self-confident at times, and I said, oh yeah, I got no problem, I can handle that, but I was unable to deliver for one reason or another. But you understand that is not the way Christ operates. Christ made the greatest promise to 
ever take place on this earth. And the great thing about him is he delivered. This, these 11 words here in Scripture prove his deity. They prove his victory. I want you to see with me thirdly this, this morning. They, they prove his remedy. To me, if, if we're going to study this resurrection, if we're going to look at it and, and we accept it on the grounds that it's biblical truth, it actually happened, here is my, my suggestion for us. If we're going to study it, we ought not just look at what the Bible says, but we ought to ask this question, why does the Bible say it? You see, if Christ did raise from the dead, the question that it, it, it behooves us, and I feel like we're constrained to ask is this, how does that affect me? If he did die and raise again on the third day, here's the question, very simple, why? Why would he do that? Why would the God of this universe lay his hands on a rugged cross to be pierced? Why would he go through that pain and that sorrow and that separation from the Father? Why would he do that? Well, he did it for you. Amen. And it's the very same reason that he rose again on the third day. While Jesus was on this earth, he made very specific statements about what his mission was while he was here. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. In just a simple sentence, he gave his mission statement. And he said, Everything that I do while I'm here on this earth is for the sole purpose of saving the lost souls of men. One day there was a group of people that, that couldn't believe Jesus would eat with sinners and publicans. And, and they just thought he should keep a better level of company than he did. The Bible says Jesus looked round about on them and he says this, uh, that he did not come to, to save or to heal those that were not hurting. You see, Jesus said these words, they that be whole need not a physician. You see, you don't go to the doctor when you're healthy. When do you go to the doctor? When do you need one? Oh, when you're sick. They that be whole need not a physician. I am come to call the sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I have come for the sole purpose of saving the lost souls of men. See, what happened was, several years ago, to no fault of your own, your great-great-great-granddaddy messed up royally. In fact, I think he just really loved your great-great-great-grandma and he followed her down a path he shouldn't have. What happened was Adam ate the fruit. God gave him one rule. He said, Adam, you can eat of any tree of the garden. You can have all of it. It's all yours to enjoy. You have dominion over it. It was like God gave him the greatest property ever. And he said, it's yours to do with whatever you want. But Adam, I have one request. Don't eat of one fruit. And the Bible says that our grandma happened by there one day and apparently she wasn't afraid of snakes like I am. She ate of the fruit. She then convinced Adam and it was his choice and he ate of the fruit. And the Bible says because of that, wherefore as by one man, Adam, 
sin entered into the world, so death by sin, death and sin have passed to all men. So what happens is, my dad got his sin nature from his dad. And his dad got it from his dad. And you could trace that back all the way to Adam, our great, 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 great granddaddy. Friend, whether you say, well, that's not my fault, at the end of the day, you realize you're a sinner. We do wrong all the time. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, the Bible even goes on to say that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He says, you're lying to yourself. Even though our great, great granddaddy messed up, that was the root of our sin nature. The fruit of your sin nature is that you still mess up and it ain't his fault at all. That's on you. So why did Jesus die? Why did he raise? To fix what was broken. You see, you were separated from God. You were on your way to a Christless eternity in hell. The Bible says in Revelation 20 that one of the saddest scenes in in mankind's history will take place. The Bible speaks of a great white throne of judgment where both small and great, all men, no matter tribe, tongue, nationality, race, no matter what income level you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, no matter what your record is, whatever you are, whoever you are, both small and great will stand before God. And there will be a book there, and that book will have everything that you've ever done. The Bible says you'll be judged out of the works of that book. If you are in that book, which you are because you're a sinner, you'll be judged according to those things. And so what Jesus did when coming to this earth, he hung on a cross that his righteousness might be made our righteousness and that our wickedness, our sin nature, might be placed upon his back. You see, there's an imputation. There's a, 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 we get to have Christ's goodness when he takes our badness. But if he just dies and stays in that grave, here's the problem. He just died for himself. But if he rose again, That validates every statement that he ever made. That means that when he said, for I am come to seek and to save that which was lost, that means that he was able to do that. That means that when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, uh, that the world might be saved through him. The The Bible says that, and if Christ followed through with the resurrection, that means that no matter how bad you are, no matter where you spend your time, no matter where you are in life, You can be saved today. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. I don't know about you, but I find myself loving YouTube and Google. They are perfect companions. 
You know why I say that? It's because if you don't know how to do something in life today, you just Google it and YouTube it. And you can Google it, and if there's an article, you know what I do? I just skip the article, and I go straight to the video. I kid you not, friend. I know this is sad, and I, I am an open book up here with you. I Googled and YouTubed how to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Did you know it is as simple as grilling cheese in a sandwich? I, I had to YouTube it. One day I had cracked the screen on my iPhone, and I think that most folks here would probably be familiar with that, and that feeling is terrible. And I'm really cheap. I don't like spending a lot of money on things that matter. I like spending them on hobbies and stuff that I enjoy. And so I did not want to take this phone down and 100 bucks for a new screen. So what I did is I Googled and YouTubed it. And I found that there was a 30-minute video with step-by-step instructions on how to reassemble your phone. In fact, in the description, there was a link on the kit that you needed to fix your phone. So, wanting to save a little money, I ordered this kit. Came in, it had the LCD screen, it had the little screwdrivers, they're magnetized because the screws are so very small that they have to stick to the uh, screwdriver there. They had the screen cleaner, they had had it all. And so one night, late at night, my wife's already in bed, I, I sit at our dining room table and I pull up my iPad and I press play on this video. Step by step, he takes me through. The first screw that you take out. Well, actually, it's probably like a 12-year-old because that's how YouTube instructional videos work. Well, today we're going to teach you how to... And so, <laughs> so glad this kid's smarter than me. I'll never forget, 30 minutes into making, fixing my iPhone, I get it. And uh, I've got it all back together. I've got the screen on there. It looks good. And I put the last screw in. And I have extra parts outside of my phone. They didn't look important. And so I said, maybe it'll work without it. I pressed the power button, nothing. I went back and watched that video time and time again. Guess what I could not figure out? Where that part went in that phone. I never saw it. It just came out when I was trying to get the screws out. I shook it and the whole thing fell out. And I had no idea. It was such a small and insignificant part. I said, maybe it'll work without it. But you know what? It didn't. That day I learned a very valuable lesson. Don't be cheap. And don't try to do stuff you have no idea how to do. But the actual lesson was this. There's some things that I just can't do by myself. There are so many methods and theories and religious practices that say, hey, this is the way you get to heaven. But I'm here to tell you, if you join in those lines, what you're trying to do is assemble your salvation. And I promise you'll end up with spare parts and it will not work. But if you accept Christ on this truth, that if you will believe in your heart, 
and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. If you will accept that, that very simple truth this morning, Jesus will fix your salvation. There will be no condemnation for you. You can be saved by simply trusting on the name of Jesus. You see, the resurrection is the most important event in world history because it proves the deity of Christ. It proves the victory of Christ. But most importantly to every person in this room this morning, it proves His remedy for you.